As part of my musical autobiography, I've put together a playlist on Spotify, or I am putting together a playlist on Spotify, of my top 250 songs and instrumental pieces, excluding the classical stuff. All my pop, rock, jazz, but also including some leader singing, which I suppose is breaking my rule on <laughs> not including classical stuff. The reason I, I am not including classical stuff in my top 250 pieces of music uh, is mainly to do with opera and to do with the fact that what I really love about opera and has been so from the very beginning isn't so much the individual arias as the drama and the music, the whole package. Right from the very first time I went to see an opera in Dublin, 1975, Samson and Delilah by Saint-Saëns, in a mindset of, well, I don't like opera, might as well go and see one to see what it is I don't like. That was my mindset. And in that mindset, I watched a performance which gradually and totally sucked me in because of its sensuality, its sexuality, its drive, and I left wanting more. And that is when my uh, operatic life started. But I'm going to do something else here and now. I'm going to play pieces of music, some pieces of music that mean a lot to me and say something about them. I have a CD here, which is called Greatest Hits, the 60s. And I grew up in the 1960s. Probably the earliest piece of music that I uh, felt for, because of the saxophone, I suspect, more than anything else, was Stranger on the Shore by Ackerbilt. Hook, line and sinker again. It, I think, was the first uh, single the first vinyl that I ever bought. I was a dancer once through my teenage years and right up through university and beyond. I was a big dancer. By that I mean I threw myself around the floor in extravagant ways. And that's what this reminds me of. So went to a few concerts in my life. The next track is really to remind me and to tell you about a concert I went to in Cork in the Everyman Theatre. I don't know, 1968 or possibly 67. 
I I don't remember which year. recently I mean the crazy thing is the idea that I saw Tom Jones and by the way I saw the Bee Gees on stage on the same bill and a third group the name of which I can't remember but is also pretty big yeah I saw the Bee Gees sing in Massachusetts and other things Tom Jones in on the Everyman in the 60s and Tom Jones on stage in summer 2016 in Cork. Amazing longevity. Amazing. heels for Tamla Motown and probably Diana Ross and the Supremes were my number one I'm my number one I mean there were others that I liked too Smokey Robinson and the Miracles there were others that I liked like the Four Tops very partial to them but Diana Ross and the Supremes, and that whole sound, that that Tamla Motown sound, it, the great thing was that they weren't a whole load of individual performances. It was like a whole school of music. And it hurts so to go talking about music with Bill Whelan and John Cosgrove on Fridays if I remember rightly in the Savoy cinema after school we'd run practically run down O'Connell Street to Nellie Martin's uh, newspaper shop to buy the new musical express and to hold 
conversations about the charts and I kept records. It's about the most nerdy thing I've ever done. I had a red book and into it I'd enter the names of all the, uh, the, the new music that entered the charts that week. Top 20 really, not top 30, top 20. I would write down, you know, where did our love go, the Supremes, 18, and the following week I'd write 12, 8, 6, 4, 3, 2, 2, 7. I would chart the progress of that record in the charts. So every week I'd update my book. I just wish I still had that book. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown, just listen to the music of the traffic. Forget all your troubles, forget all your cares and go down, down. I can't remember if she ever went into the Eurovision Song Contest. Because some people went into the Eurovision Song Contest back in those days. The song that I remember loving that won the European the Eurovision Song Contest was an Italian song. Non non letal, I think it was called, or oh non letal. I think it was no non letal. In Italian, I hadn't a clue what it was about. But there was some poignancy about it. And I think I'm sure I'm gonna get on to talking about Dusty Springfield later. Because Julie Clark was one thing, but for me, Dusty Springfield was the first ultimate uh, female singer. There were others to come to. I saw on YouTube uh, Herman's Hermits singing I'm Henry VIII, I am and I was shocked to see how young uh, what you call a boy band Hermits the term hadn't been invented in those days but how young Herman's Hermits were 
I've no idea how old, to this day I've no idea how old the small faces were, but now I'm prepared to, to, to think if I saw them again and you, or looked at them on YouTube. Because there are a load of things on YouTube. There was Top of the Pops on the BBC TV, which we didn't have, but I kind of knew that that's where every week the chart toppers would be on and there are YouTube YouTubes of all of that music this was kind of real tongue-in-cheek and very English it's uh, interesting there I hear him say sing the word rainbow well, we'll get around to, I'm sure, you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. <clears throat> I'm sure there were rainbows there in that song. It's a real kind of, almost a psychedelic thing. It certainly wasn't anything to do with South Africa back then. One thing that's often struck me, I was thinking to myself, why is it that I still, to this day, like the stuff from the 60s? And, okay, I'm sure that the main reason is nostalgia. I mean, it doesn't come with kind of neutral associations or memories. If I listen to a bit of hip-hop today, it means nothing to me because I haven't had any significant experiences while listening to or being present during performance of hip-hop. But I did have, during all this 1960s stuff. But there is a feature that I think is worth highlighting in some way. It is the, the lyrics. The lyrics were so easy um, to hear and as a consequence learn. It was so easy for me growing up to, to learn through a process of osmosis. You know, I had, I don't remember making an effort to learn the lyrics of the next song. But I'm about to play you a song, and I don't know what's coming next, but I'll bet you that we are able to hear the lyrics. It's no good playing the searchers because uh, sweets for my sweet. It's not that I don't remember the song, but I don't have any associations with it. But you can see. the move for me is that I think that they sang the first piece of music on Radio 1 on the BBC. I got up the morning that, that the 
first BBC station, uh, pop music station, uh, began. Uh, I remember it being about half past six. I remember listening to it on the radiogram in the sitting room of, the, of, the, of our house. And I, I would have to double check. But it, I'm pretty sure it was the move. And uh, but what song it was will come back to me, I'm sure. It will. think this was influenced by the Beatles. Certainly there's something, not just about Blackberry and Blackbird, the Beatles song, nothing to do with that, but it has to do with there being a certain uh, tinge to the music which is well, psychedelic really. I, there were many more bands there were bands who were very much more psychedelic than the Beatles. But Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is, for me, the iconic, almost like, anthem of that age. Ah, oh. oh, I'll never forget this. Keep on running. Spencer Davis, driving stuff. Keep on hiding. Some fine day. I'm beginning to feel that I could go through all of the music on this triple CD. I mean, what am I talking about? Three times 18, 54, 54 holes in golf. But I could, I could make, turn this, I, I would say first chapter of my musical autobiography. And I can't do that. I mean, that would be over the top. So what am I going to do? I think I'm going to have to make an arbitrary cut-off point. <laughs> it means leaving out huge uh, numbers of songs in the 60s. There are some that I will have to play because, I mean, they're really special. Like, if I can... Well, no, we're getting into the late... 60s. I gotta play some late 60s stuff. I gotta find White Rabbit somewhere by Jefferson Airplane because I began, I suppose, with the English stuff more than anything else. You know, Cliff Richards, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Beatles, Rolling Stones, I suppose. And there were plenty of others, really. Um, 
I've already played Tom Jones. I mean, I remember, I even remember Ingelbert Humperdinck. But then there was the, there were the Americans. And in a way, I, I mean, that's another, another collection of thoughts, but also associations much more than memories. I'm going to break off without playing anything by Cliff Richards, anything by the Rolling Stones, anything by the Beatles. Um, which is a travesty, I have to say. I mean, it really is. I mean, the notion that I can do my musical autobiography without them, well, certainly the early Beatles I can do without. Early Beatles being help, ticket to ride, she loves you, please, please me. Although of them all, I think I would take please, please, please with me to a desert island of that phase of the Beatles. Now we get to a different phase when we start going into Sgt. Pepper and we go to Eleanor Rigby. I don't know. We'll see what I'll do next. I left the 1960s behind in about 1970. Meaning that from about 1970, I cut back on the amount of rock and pop music that I listened to and I was first entranced by good old Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto, which I may or may not get around to playing a tiny bit of later. But I had a dalliance with Irish traditional music. And I suppose to just the, the, but the big picture really was that I went from rock and pop to classical orchestral music on to Irish traditional music, not anybody else's traditional music and then on to opera. I don't want to leave the 1960s before I dwell on Dusty Springfield. Probably it's about four or five songs by her would absolutely stop me in my tracks today and stopped me kind of in my tracks then. She went on to have a long career I discovered afterwards. Really from the 1960s I didn't listen to Dusty Springfield anymore.
So that's one of the tracks. Now, Dusty didn't just sing those kind of slow, wistful songs, although I must admit that I loved those wistful songs with orchestra behind them. Even talking about orchestra reminds me that uh, I think it was the Beatles who may have been the first uh, group in the 60s to use a, a full orchestra, I think in Sgt. Pepper, but that's another story. I will get on to something else, but first, this is, this is special. I just don't know what to do with myself. Just what to do with myself isn't it? That's the last, where it changes there. For me, it reminds me of Phil Spector. I don't have an accurate enough memory to be able to, for example, place that song in relation to some of Phil Spector's work. But this one certainly reminds me in that part of the wall of sound. Now let me take you to something which is a lot more upbeat, at least I remember it as being upbeat, who knows. Not really, I was wrong. is for me and was for me at the time sound that I identified more with America really and 
playing it back, I feel it's the same. They were very studio-produced sounds. I have no idea who wrote those songs. I could look it up, and that's a part of my story. I guess apart from the Beatles, who else can I remember as songwriters who meant a lot to me? I suppose Holland, Dozier, and somebody else. They wrote a lot of Tamla Motown stuff. But here's Dusty live in the Royal Albert Hall. Then I wish I'd sung before Linda Ronstadt sang it. This is a song that perhaps you've never heard her sing it actually. It's by a young and very talented songwriter called Carla Bono. I don't know why I put it in the act. I said, well, if it's really pretty, I hope you do too. unsure, I suppose I am, about why I'm making such a fuss about her. And I think it is, well, partly it is in, in recognition of the surprise I, I had many, many, many years later to discover that she'd had a whole life after those big hits in the 60s and had gone on singing for a long time. And I also have a feeling, a suspicion that she sang some songs which I can't find right now, which were in the, in the soul genre. And uh, that, of course, I suppose you'd say, I had my, my soul period. Let me take you to the last Dusty Springfield one. <laughs>
was another reason I like Dusty Springfield a lot. And it connects in uh, with what I'm going to play you next. And it had to do with what in Ireland would have been called, well, what was, the slow dances. The ones where you could get really close, as opposed to, you know, rocking away. And these, of course, mattered. They were very sexual and... So, I have three pieces of music coming. dancing to this in the 60s maybe. I can still remember 
who I was holding on to. It's hard for me to turn that down and off. Oh, I could, uh, and I do from time to time, revel in that music, particularly the last three. It was a great and pleasant surprise when I discovered that I already knew some of the music of the American Civil War. And that was good news and of interest to me because I'd become very interested in the American Civil War through the poetry of Walt Whitman and the poetry and life of Walt Whitman. And I don't think I knew very much at all about the American Civil War before I became interested in Walt Whitman. And I certainly couldn't have told you that the American Civil War began in 1861, ended in 1865. That kind of crude knowledge, and I still don't know that much about the American Civil War, but when I found out that music and tunes that I had taken in while quite young were there, it really made a, a lovely difference to me. I have some recordings of music which are in no particular order. This uh, comes from a CD called uh, Robert E. Lee Remembered. It's the song, it's the music that interests me most of all. There's a yellow rose in Texas that I am going to see. No other soldier knows her, no soldier only me. She cried so when I left her, it like she broke my heart. And if I ever find her, we never fall apart. She's a sweet as rose and color, this soldier ever knew. Her eyes are bright as diamonds, they sparkle like the dew. You may talk about your dearest bay and sing of Rosalie. The arrows of Texas beats the bells of Tennessee. I can't tell you how many car journeys I've done alone in the car while playing music of the American Civil War very loudly. Oh, mm -hmm. 
I never realized how many people died in the American Civil War. I still don't know the details of how the battles went and everything like that, and I still would, wouldn't be confident I could explain or coherently the origins of the American Civil War. I've always felt emotionally on the northern side, more than emotionally, well, um, Abraham Lincoln, one of my great heroes. Let me introduce you to a song that was a favourite of both sides. Ima imagine this being sung around campfires on both sides of the Civil War. I even had to look up and see what goober peas were. So it was really, a, I suppose, an education, not just an education in music, but an education in history for me. This song I'm going to play you now, um, I suppose, might have been the first uh, piece of uh, music from the American Civil War that, I can remember goes right back to early days back in Limerick and I just suppose that for some reason somebody played me this music Song 
song of the Civil War encampments. No idea. Completely taken aback. Civil War for the same reason that I, I stopped the 1960s pop rock stuff. There must be on the three CDs that I have there must be at least 20 songs that I would love to play out loud and I mean really loud and would today sing along. The more I found out about the American Civil War the more shocked I was at how bloody it was, how many people died, and how in the history of human, of war, it was nothing before it equaled it. And very few wars have equaled it. I can't remember how many people exactly were killed in the American Civil War, but it was shockingly huge. I learned about the music at the same time as I learned not only about Walt Whitman, but about Peter Doyle from Limerick. And Peter Doyle came from Limerick and mm. became Walt Whitman's lover and friend from, if I remember rightly, about March of 1860, maybe February 1865. And incidentally, Peter Doyle was in the theatre the night that Abraham Lincoln was murdered, shot, uh, assassinated, if you like, I had a go at writing a play about the relationship between Whitman and Peter Doyle. It was really to be a play about the second half of the 19th century, a bit grandiose as a project, but it certainly was to cover a span of it and bring in stuff, I'll call it, from that period in time. But it pleased me to imagine Peter Doyle, the character of Peter Doyle, being somebody who used to whistle, whistling along to marching through Georgia, oh, battle hymn of the Republic, battle cry of freedom, oh Susanna, the yellow rose of Texas. I love the thought of that and also the thought that, you know, I did have access to the favorite music of Abraham Lincoln in particular. Who I think, if I remember rightly, he was a lover of opera. Well, he had to be, because I, 
Well, was he in a, in a theatre listening to an opera or a play? I can't remember.